and orchestra and piano tonight for your work. I'm, I'm glad I, I get another chance to speak. You never know after you speak one time if, if I'll be allowed to speak again. So I'm glad I get another chance to be up here. Last time, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation 4. We're basically hanging out in Revelation uh, for most of the night as far as what you need to look up. And we'll be there, uh, though I show you a few other things on the screen. We'll probably read a little bit actually in Revelation 1, if you'd rather be there at the beginning. Last time I spoke, uh, I've been kind of going through this theme about worship. Worship is such a huge part of music uh, and praising God. And so uh, what does God accept? I've been thinking about what has God accepted worship or who does he accept it from? And then uh, moving somewhat even towards tonight, towards then how would we worship him? So that not only who, but how. Um, Last time I spoke, the biggest takeaway everyone seemed to have was the timeline I gave of my different worship services. So I just thought I'd present it to you again another way a little bit tonight. Um, My messages on worship timeline, in 2013, we arrived in Rock Hill. Uh, So it's 10 years ago, about now, we arrived in Rock Hill, got settled, got involved in some ministries. Then I spoke in 2015, worship that God accepts, speaking about Cain and Abel. And some are accepted and some are not. And why is that? And we studied about the heart and who they are before God uh, as far as that acceptance. 2016, I spoke on worship that bows uh, before God, some attitude before Christ um, with a few different individuals from Scripture. Uh, Then also in 2016, worship responding to the glory of God and how we respond um, in in that way to immediately praising Him in worship. Uh, In 2023, I spoke on worship that fears. That was talking about Noah and uh, how it was a good-smelling aroma of his worship. And then tonight, we're going to look at worship before the throne. Um, And that's why we're headed into Revelation. But as people see God, it causes them to worship. Kind of fits in with the theme from worship responding to the glory of God. Now, the question is, what... What's going on? Why such a gap? Did you have some spiritual issues? The the honest truth is we will never know exactly why I stopped having the opportunity to speak. But here we are. I'm ordained. I'm ready to go. So at the bottom of your handout that you have, um, I have some concluding thoughts, things that I want you to think about uh, as we're going through this message. What is my attitude as I come to worship God? Okay, is there a certain attitude I should have as I go to worship him because of who he is? What are my thoughts about God and about myself as I come to praise him? Those things have come up in other messages as well, but am I thinking about who God is and who I am in relationship to that as I come and praise his name? Um, Should seeing God's glory affect my mission, what I'm about, Should it affect my worship? Should it affect my praise? Praise being kind of a subset within worship. All right, so think about those things as we go through it. Uh, When we had the evangelist here, Aaron Coffey, a few months ago, a couple months ago now, he spoke from Isaiah 6. So I feel like I'm piggybacking off of him a little bit as we head to the throne again. Uh, As he talked about seeing the throne high and lifted up, he, he mentioned some things that he thought were very awesome sights that he had seen. The Grand Canyon he mentioned. 
he also mentioned the Rocky Mountains and stirring up the hugeness of that. But no matter how awesome it is, it didn't compare at all to the greatness of God and his throne and how amazing that was as people saw it. Um, as, as if I think about awesome sites, I like to think about even cathedrals. Have some of you been in some large cathedrals? And we start talking about the throne room, okay, what, what are we imagining a little? I've been in some cathedrals that are pretty amazing. Um, even just one in Savannah that I was in, the, the, the acoustics are great. Acoustics are huge to music people. Will it bounce the sound around and just hit you right? The organ, right? That you don't just hear, you feel it on your body when it's being played. And it's just like, wow, probably Pastor Marshall in a nicely ironed gown, you know, pre, ready to preach. But the, this, this view of, of, of amazing things, probably not exactly what we're talking about building if we ever were able to afford something. Uh, to build another auditorium, but an awesome sight. And yet again, doesn't compare to the throne that we see portrayed in scripture of our God. So let's go ahead and look. Uh, I have to give you a little start off to Revelation, I feel, as we head into it. So you're, you have your bearings as we look at things in the context of what's going on. So let's look at Revelation 1, verses 14 through 19. I'm going to read that as we head into this tonight. Revelation 1, 14 through 19 says, His hair, or his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Amen, probably. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So he presents right there in that verse, some, the kind of the outline of Revelation for you that I've put. Write the things that you have seen, something in the past, and really this vision of Jesus that he's seeing here in Revelation 1. Write things that, that you have seen. Write the things that are, which we label as chapters 2 and 3, the, the church that was going on, and the churches in different lo- locations, and letters to them. And then write the things that will be uh, as we go forward, the future and what's still coming up. So with that, what's coming up, I guess I broke that down into four and five being a prologue to the tribulation. The tribulation then six through 19, a huge section of revelation. The millennial kingdom, which is chapter 20 and the eternal state 21 and 22. So you can kind of see that, kind of keep your bearings on things. I guess I did have that on one of my slides as well there. So you can see all that if you don't have an outline tonight. So as we head into God on the throne, or God is on the throne, let's go to Revelation 4 now, our main text of the evening, and take a look at this a little bit. So Revelation 4 chapter 1, it says, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And And the first voice 
which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Must take place after this. So this is that transition kind of again in the book that now is the things that are coming after. That's why we say the church was the things that are. And now the things that will be coming up in the future. If you want to debate that, go ahead. I'm not, I'm not going to die on that or whatever. My main focus tonight is what does the throne look like? Okay, so we're not here for debates on other things. But the first thing he mentions there is that he sees a door up in the heavens. Interesting, interesting thing to say. A door, is it an actual door that's open? There seems to be a way into heaven. And there seems to be one who calls and allows you to go into heaven. And there's only one way into heaven, right? It's through Jesus Christ. We have here Jesus Christ calling out. It says his voice was like what? It's like a trumpet. It's interesting with all the different, you know, with the trump of God and different things like that. And you have different things. And, and um, we've had messages here on the trumpets and things. But his voice was kind of like a, described as a trumpet. Calling him up into this throne room up into heaven where the throne was. It says there as well. That he says, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Come up here. He says it with authority. Trumpet's a sign of authority as well uh, when, it's, when it's being used. Announcing something and giving with power. If you think of the trumpet, it really cuts through the other instruments. Could you hear it tonight? It's because it's the powerhouse of the orchestra. The trumpet's a very loud instrument, cuts through, and so it has power and authority. And with that voice, Christ says, come up here. I have something you need to see, and I have some things that I have a message I need to give. And so we go before the throne of God. Verse 2 talks about immediately I was in the Spirit. It begs the question of whether he could have been there without just being in the Spirit. I don't think our bodies can handle that presence. So he's in the Spirit, called up. You know, we can't be there without glorified bodies. They would just be destroyed. Man can't see God. And so he's called up in the Spirit to see the things that God wanted us to see at that time. And what does he see? What's the first thing that really just pops out immediately? The throne. It says, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Just go with me through the passage and hop through. The focus, even in Revelation, is the throne. It's mentioned 47 times in Revelation, the throne, and only 15 other times throughout the rest of the, the Bible. Okay, so it's the rest of the New Testament, I should say. It's mentioned more in the Old Testament with thrones, right, of kings. But only 15 more times in the New Testament. 47 times in Revelation, but it's a huge focus in this chapter. Look with me in verse 2. It says, behold, a throne. And then look at the prepositions that happen with the word throne. In verse 2, it says, on the throne. Jump to verse 4. What's around the throne? Jump to verse 5. What do you see in 5? What was that? From the throne and before the throne. What about verse 6? Before the throne, in the midst of the throne, around the throne. Okay, so you've got 3 in verse 6. In verse 9, you have 1. On the throne, verse 10. 
before him who sits on the throne, right? If you want to say the whole phrase, what else? Cast crowns before the throne. Okay, so in this passage alone, this chapter that we're looking at, throne is a huge feature. He doesn't have to say throne every time he's talking, but he wants to. He chooses to use it because it's just, whoa, it's right there. It's in his face. It's the main focus of everything is this throne that's right there in front of him. So everything else that happens is who's on the throne, what's going on then right around the throne, and it's all just centered right there on the great one, ultimate power and authority to the one who's king and will be king on that throne. It says, behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. One sat on the throne. Okay, it it also says there before that the throne was set in heaven. It's permanent, it's there. It was placed, boom, and it's it's a forever setting down immovable. It's not a situation that it's going to be overthrown by the next king that comes along. This is the kingdom that will remain forever. He's forever on the throne, and the sights that we see of the throne through history are always the same, and we're going to see that some through scripture tonight. Psalm 103:19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. He established it. It's not moving. It's there forever. Psalm 47, 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. So who's the one sitting there on the throne that John mentions is the one on the throne? It's God. It's God that sits on the throne. And so John is there seeing God in whatever form that is that he was allowed to see. And it's a spectacular spectacular vision of one who sits on the throne. I think the first um, point you had on there uh, underneath God is on the throne is it's a permanent king on the throne, which I've already made mention of as well. He's permanently there. He lives forever. It says the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. It's not moving. I hope this is encouraging to you as you even face trials in your life, right? He was there back there at the flood in that judgment He's still the God on the throne who's going to finish his judgment and justice of the earth. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. How do you compete or try to overthrow that? Right? The all-powerful, foreverlasting God. And yet we know that one person did sort of exalt themselves right against him. It was removed from God's presence. So, where is this throne? I I was thinking about this, and as I was studied, some people mentioned it a little bit. But where is the throne? We think of uh, a king is normally in his castle, and he's calling out his judgments. But where is the throne that we see God sitting on? It says in Revelation 7.15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Talking about the um, 
tribulation saints there. Revelation eleven nineteen. Then, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant was seen there in the temple. The lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes, uh, the noises that are there. And we see those also in this chapter 4. Uh, Revelation 14, 15. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. 15, 16 says, and out of the temple came the seven angels. A loud voice came out of the temple of heaven. In 16, 17, God is in a temple. And what happens in a temple? Worship. He is on his throne in a place of worship. And he will remain on his throne. Even as it comes to earth someday, a new heaven and a new earth, he's seen as on the throne and it descends down out of, out of the sky to the earth, right? So God is on the throne in a temple. And here, if you really want to have your mind boggled a little bit about this temple that he's worshiped in, look at this verse, 21:22 here toward the end of Revelation. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God is the temple, so the fact that God is there makes it a temple and a place to be uh, of worship of him. So interesting things when you think about angels coming out of the temple and so forth, but yet God makes it the temple. He's there and worship will happen. Um, there's, there's a rarity of people who get to see the throne. There's a rarity that we have of people who get called to see heaven and the throne of God in the Spirit. Are there people that claim to see it? There are. Okay, I'm skeptical of those because dreams can be very vivid, and often those stories don't seem to line up with what the Bible says heaven is exactly like. So it has to make us question that. But we do have some, some clear visions of, of people being called up in the spirit to this heaven there's four of them that are mentioned you've got john here in the book of revelation on the island of patmos you've got paul in second corinthians 12 who mentions it is like i could boast about that and i'm not going to and i'm he couldn't even speak about it the unspeakable things he saw it was just so amazing and we don't know exactly what, what was going on there, but Paul was there. We see Isaiah, obviously in Isaiah 6, which we mentioned. It was preached in a few weeks, uh, a, few, a couple months ago. And then Ezekiel, very unique uh, vision of the throne room that seems very vivid, whether he was actually up in it or just gazing at it. But that's very vivid. There might be a, a few others that people would argue about, maybe in Daniel. Um, but he talks about it just being a dream. Um, and then you've got maybe another example in Exodus as well by the, by the mountain when the law is given where some people seem to be seeing a certain thing that was allowed to be seen, okay, of it. But very few, when you talk about the history and all of Scripture, you have these few images. And so I wanted to point out those places of people who have been there because we'll cross-reference these as we go forward and see the, the continuity of the same God has been on the throne all along, and he's not changing. He's the same God that's there. So let's go ahead and look here at the splendor of the throne that is mentioned here. It says in verse 3, 
And he who sat there was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. The stones, uh, we aren't really positive always that stones don't change names over time and things like that. Um, Sometimes some of our stones might look slightly different today or be described as slightly different. But... We do have some clarification about this jasper. Now, this is the one sitting on the throne. So this is God. What does he look like? And in Revelation 21, 11, it says, Having the glory of God, her light, speaking of, of the um, heaven, or uh, the, really the, the throne room and heaven itself coming down to earth, Okay, where God is, coming down to earth, what did it look like? It was described as having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So you almost have this diamond-like view of God as you see him. Clear, pure, like a fine diamond, clear as crystal was described later in, in, in Revelation. And then we also have the Sardius stone. We do know a little bit more about that one because it was, what do we know about Sardius? There's a church in Sardius, right? That we had, it was the dead church written about in Revelation 3. And there, by that uh, city area, was discovered this stone, which is a blood red ruby stone, fiery bright. So you start putting this together, you've got a clarity and yet this fiery reddish brightness that we see there sitting on the throne. Hopefully, it wasn't that the church of Sardius was dead because they're following after something like that ruby red stone. But we see an image of God. And then we have here in Ezekiel, um, who saw the throne as well, it says, and above the firmament over their heads. So he's having this vision of um, some angels that we'll talk about down the road, and he's kind of seeing right above them as they're here by him by this river, he sees into heaven as well right there. And above the firmament over these angels' heads was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like a sapphire stone. So that's the throne. On the, on the likeness of the throne was the likeness and the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. So what is this? Blazing light. You have clarity. You have ruby red. You have fire kind of idea, brightness, splendor of the Lord. Daniel um, 7, 9, in his dream which is speaking of the time near the millennium. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. So you have this idea of great light. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's not only that he can throw fire, but it is like he is just powerful brightness of light which goes along with what we know about God and who he is it goes on in verse 3 to say after the jasper and the sardius stone an appearance that there was a rainbow around the throne an appearance like an emerald and I have never seen an emerald or what I think of as green rainbow before 
But what is this that he's seeing? I don't know if we know entirely, um, but it's definitely at least speaking of his radiance, his brightness, his glory, his uh, like almost the halo type of image, I'm guessing, around the throne from the brightness that's there. Ezekiel 128 goes on and says, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around it, all around this throne image. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. Bright awesomeness. And if you see it, what will you do? You're going to fall on your face. And it's just going to be like, wow, this God loves me. This is amazing. Brightness, beauty, awesomeness. If I was to sum up this glory of the Jasper Sardius sapphire throne, the rainbow, all I can think of is light, which God calls himself. Revelation 21, 23 says, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of the Lord of God illuminated it. The light is its, the lamb is its light. Revelation 22, 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and forever in the light where there's no need of sun because of the brightness of who the lamb is. Who's the light of the world, right? Jesus Christ showing throughout scripture of who this light is. And when people see him, that's all they can think about is light, in reality. Uh, we have, uh, let's go on there in verse 5. In verse 5 it mentions, and this is really a setup for worship because I want you to eventually in part 2 of this message you're going to see how people respond and then worship with this. And so will we see God this way and worship him a certain way as well? But as we head into verse 5, I guess we could argue was this really something that was seen when you start talking about thunderings, well, lightning is seen. So I kind of threw it into this section here as something that's seen before the throne. It says in verse 5, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. What are these words meaning? Well, I think in this context of what's going on, it's that God is getting ready for something pretty big. He's, when we talk about thunderings and lightnings, we're talking about a God who is ready to judge something. It's a voice that comes up other places in Scripture for this revelation. Did I already have it up there? I think I might have missed some of my verses. Nope. It's okay, I'll just read them. So Revelation 16, 18 says, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. It's the same words that are used there for describing what's coming off of the throne. 
okay, this, these same lightnings and thunderings and things, and it was judgment. First uh, Samuel 2.10 says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. When God is judging, we see thunder, we see lightning, we see power. And this is what John is allowed to come before the throne and see. And what's about to happen? Tribulation, right? This is, this is warming up to this scene in heaven of tribulation against man who refused to accept God's payment for sin. So God is warming up and showing the fury that can come, not nature's fury, though he might use nature as part of it, but all the tribulation judgments are from God. And he is making those things happen. What else do we see there in verse 5? Maybe something that you've already read ahead and, and seen, which you might find quite interesting. You have seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Does anyone want to come up here and tell me about that? Um, the seven spirits of God. I don't know if, we don't have a lot of evidence in Bible about what this is. I did have, I thought I included these verses, but I don't think they're showing up, so I must have. Let me see if I have anything with this. Maybe I accidentally deleted them after I put them in. That's okay. Let's just, uh, yeah, because that's actually later. So, okay, well, I'll just read them to you. So in Isaiah 11.2, you might want to write that one down if I didn't put it on your outline. Isaiah 11.2 gives us a little evidence into possibly what this seven spirits is. It says in Isaiah 11.2, help me out, kids, get your fingers ready. You're going to have to count because we got to get to seven here, okay? So here we go. You got, you ready? Thank you, Haley, the only obedient child in the room. Okay, we've got, it says in Isaiah 11.2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. There's one. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Do we get to seven? We made it to seven according to her. Now that's saying that the first one would be the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him as one of them. So it's kind of mentioned there that there's some different parts seemingly of the spirit or his functions or what he's providing to us. Zechariah 4, 6 also speaks of the fullness of the spirit uh, and relates it to the lampstand in the temple. The original menorah lampstand in the tabernacle in the temple had how many lights? Seven. Okay, two, two more were added in the newer menorahs for Hanukkah and things because of eight nights of Hanukkah and the center one to light them with. But the original lamps that God gives before the holies of holies was how many lights? Seven lights. And I, I have to think that that's kind of interesting. God is full of symbolism. And so we have the spirits of God, the seven spirits or functions somehow of God before the throne and part of the throne. And so we see God on the throne. We see the Holy Spirit there present somehow. And then we also have uh, in maybe the next chapter or the chapter, yeah, probably the next chapter that the Lamb is there as well. In Revelation 5. So you've got the whole Trinity right there, even as part of this judgment. 
That's something to just chew on and think about a little bit um, as you continue to study. Uh, I'm not surprised at all if the lampstand in the tabernacle was just to symbolize the fullness of the Holy Spirit to us. Before the throne, as well in verse 6, as we head into that, it says, Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. John is there being told, write what you see. And he sees something that looks like a sea of glass, like crystal. And I already was popping up some of this other cross-references with this of, of those who saw heaven. Ezekiel one twenty two: The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures above these angels was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Not probably actual water, but probably just crystal glass. Almost as God is overseeing these special angels about his work and overseeing them. You can see into heaven with this crystal glass under their feet. Exodus 24.10, that's the, where I was referring to the people um, there by the mountain getting the, getting the law that they had a little bit of a limited vision of something up there in the heavens. And it said, they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Clear crystal beauty and awesomeness would not glass everywhere add to the light that's just going boom right you start intermixing glass into that scene and it's just awesomeness and so it makes sense that there would be rainbows and all these different things all around the throne crystal cathedral get out of the way right because man can't even come close to what this is in awesomeness and beauty and light i would like to jump in i guess i'm kind of running out of time so I think I wanted to get to the did I, did I get through one point is that what I got through okay to do this justice I think we'll stop there tonight and we'll take off the next time I'm, I'm here which will be very soon <laughs> with the beings before the throne that are all part of this worship and the praise and as we get into them these elders and these angels called the living creatures, as we get into them and their response to the awesome beauty that they are before, they just sing praise to God for who he is. And we'll study some of their praises to God and think through how our worship would be. It should be that way if you really see who God is. Do you see who he is a little bit better tonight? And can you worship with me? Let's stand and we will close by singing a song that you know. I'm going to throw the song that we sang a couple weeks ago. There is a higher throne, seeing the beauty of the throne and praising our God for what we have in him. So let's sing as the pianist comes. Thank you.